Because God is faithful and will complete our redemption by transforming our mortal bodies, let us then now, today and every day, let us be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. You know, that first Resurrection Sunday changed everything, didn't it? It changed the world, it changed history, and it can change you. It has changed us because He is risen. He is risen indeed. And so we are celebrating here then today, we are celebrating the most monumental event in history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because he is risen, we too, through faith in him, will rise and conquer death. The resurrection is the proof. It is the proof that God the Father accepted the sacrifice of the Son that our sins have been forgiven, that we have the gift of eternal life, that one day our bodies will be transformed in glorious resurrection power because behold, Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, he will make all things new, not just our souls, not just our bodies, but all things, a new heaven and a new earth. And that is a lot to celebrate, isn't it? That is a lot to celebrate because he is risen indeed. He is risen and he is faithful. You know, we can rest assured here today that we will rise with Christ because God is faithful. We have been celebrating the faithfulness of God here this past week in particular. We rejoiced last Sunday as we gave thanks for how he has proven himself faithful to us as we celebrated our church's 75th anniversary last Sunday. We saw last Friday then too how he is faithful to his nature as his righteousness and his love met in the cross. And today then we rejoice as he has proven himself faithful and will prove himself faithful to us as he completes our redemption and raises our mortal bodies. Amen? Amen. Amen. You know, for... Those of you who've been here for a while, you've, you've seen these words, you've heard this before, but if you're visiting with us, I want you to know that the victory of Christ in the resurrection is absolute and complete, that he has saved us, redeemed us, that is, he has bought us back from death and given us life, hope, eternal hope. The scripture speaks of that as justification, that is, through faith in Christ, we have all of our sins are forgiven and that we are declared perfect, morally perfect in his sight through faith in Christ, through union with him. And then sanctification, that is that ongoing process of growing into the righteousness that we have been given as a gift. And then glorification, you know, none of us will ever in this life arrive at that state of perfect righteousness or holiness, will we? But God promises that we will, that he will complete that, that he's given that, he's done that for us, and he will complete that, glorify us. That's the culmination or the end point of our redemption when we will enjoy that perfect righteousness in nature and in practice. 
and we are given then a resurrection body, the culmination then. So today then we're celebrating that God is faithful and looking at the resurrection, which is the completion of our redemption. Our text here today is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 through 58. And here is the key idea that I want us to take away from this today, that because God is faithful and will complete our redemption by transforming our mortal bodies, let us then now, today and every day, let us be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because the scripture also tells us, we know that our work in the Lord, what we do for him is never in vain. It's never forgotten or overlooked, but he sees and he knows and he will reward that all. So before we look at our text in 1 Corinthians 15 here, uh, many of you know that that church in Corinth, as Paul was writing to them, they were a very troubled church. You know, and, and it was not unusual for churches to have trouble. It's not unusual for churches to have trouble today in our day, is it? Now, why is it? Why do we have trouble in our churches? Why is it? Because they're filled with people, right? <laughs> That's why we do. Why do we have trouble in this world? Because it's full of people. And why do we have trouble in the churches? Because it's full of people. And even redeemed people through faith in Christ still have that side of them that can do some pretty wicked things sometimes, right? Some things that are not honoring to God and not honoring to his word. And that was going on in the church at Corinth. So this is nothing new. This has been like this since the beginning. And when you read the letters in the New, to the New Testament churches, you see Paul or the other writers constantly dealing with issues or problems, correcting them. And so Corinth, it's been said, was the, the poster child of dysfunctional churches then. And yet, God would be faithful to them to complete the redemption. You know, we looked at that last week about, isn't that so encouraging for us here to look at? Here is Corinth. This is the worst of all the New Testament churches there. And yet, what does God say to them about what he's going to do? That he will finish what he has started in them. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, he says, I give thanks, Paul writing here, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him by all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the part I really love right here. As we wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. That's great hope, isn't it? That is great hope. And the resurrection then, the resurrection, was God's great assurance that our redemption is complete. And chapter 15 is the great chapter on the resurrection and on the hope of the resurrection. We're told there, too, that the resurrection is the foundation of our faith that if there is no resurrection, we are still lost and we are without hope in this world. And there were some who were asserting that, oh, there's no such thing as a resurrection. People will not rise. Their bodies won't be changed. Their death is it. That is the end of it. 
But Christ has indeed been raised, and therefore we can live with confident hope. But we might wonder, well, well, how? How will that work? How will the resurrection work? How can this be? And so Paul tells us this then in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 35. He says, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from stars in glory. And so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of of heaven. Amen. I want us to look here at natural and spiritual bodies, natural and spiritual bodies. One thing I want to make clear right from the beginning, when we talk about natural bodies, those are what? Those are the bodies that we are born into when we come into this world. These bodies which are subject to aging, to sickness, and eventually death. That is the, the natural body. But we will also then be receiving a spiritual body. And something I want to be clear right from the start here, when, when he talks here of this spiritual body, we might have this idea, spiritual, spiritual, that means non-physical, right? No, it does not mean that at all. This spiritual body is also a physical body. That just as we have physical bodies here, we will have spiritual, physical bodies as well. See, the natural refers to the one that comes from the nature of here and now. But the spiritual body is the body that comes from above, is heavenly, and is transformed by the power of God's Spirit, a physical body, but gloriously different and transformed from the physical bodies that we have now. See, God is Spirit, 
And he has created us humans to have both a, a spirit and a physical body. But when we fell into sin, all the creation was affected. All of our humanness, what it means to be human, was affected. And so both our immaterial part, the soul or the spirit, and the material part, the body, were corrupted. You know, we often speak of how Jesus saves our soul, and he does. But he does much more. He doesn't just save our soul or our spirit. He has saved our bodies, all of us, all that it means to be human. He has saved that. You know, our natural bodies will last only a short period of time before they die. And we are all subject to aging, to sickness and death. You know, I just got a little reminder of the aging process recently, just this past week. Uh, I had a, a phone call with Ryan Strange. Uh, how many of you know Ryan Strange? Okay, a good number of you know Ryan here. Well, he and his wife, Amy, I officiated their wedding. It was on April 12th, 2008, and that was 14 years ago. And so I sent uh, him a congratulatory text. This was last Tuesday. It was their anniversary. And so I sent them a congratulatory text on their anniversary. So Ryan, Ryan, he got that, and he called me back. And he said, actually, even at, at, as, as that text had gone out, they were at home there. They were watching their wedding video. And he said to me, man, you look so young. <laughs> I thought, what are you saying, Ryan? <laughs> you know, that was uh, 14 years ago, which wasn't that long ago, was it? All of a sudden, you know what, I felt really old, you know, when he said that. Now, 14 years ago, I was 43. I'm 57 now. I'll save you the math if you're doing that in your heads right now. I thought, okay, if he thought I looked really young when I was 43, what do I look like now, Right? But it's true, right? We can't escape. We can't escape aging of the natural body, can we? I do want you to know, though, I did feel a little bit better when he said that they looked so much younger, too. It's like, all right, I felt better, you know, when he said that, admitted that at least then. But, you know, the reality is, is we all are getting older, aren't we? And we all are subject to disease, to death. And until Jesus comes for us, we will all die physically. And these natural bodies can last only a short time. You know, even a long life by human standards. Let's say 100 years, that's a long life, isn't it? But even that is what? It is but a vapor, a blink of an eye compared to eternity. And it's true also, even if we were to live a hundred years, you know, the older we get, the weaker these bodies become, don't they? You might say, boy, I'd like to live a hundred years. That's a long life. Well, would you? Maybe, right? Because that hundred years, that's not like being 22 when you're 98, is it? So the older we get, the weaker these bodies become. But God has promised that he will redeem it. That he will redeem our material, physical bodies. 
as well as our immaterial souls or spirits. But you know, the, the, the people in Corinth, some there, they found it very hard to accept this notion or this idea of resurrection. How, how can this be? How can the dead be raised? We've never seen such a thing. Well, because it had only happened once, right? See, they thought the, many of them thought that the body, that physicality, that this was something that was evil and something that needed to be discarded, that Jesus saves us to, to rid us of these mortal, physical bodies, to, get, to rid us of physicality. But that's not true. So they, under, they, they couldn't understand how this could be done. How could God take bodies which have deteriorated or been burned or been destroyed in different ways and reconstruct them again? You know, these things are hard to understand. And so... The question is raised, Paul assumes, and he says, but, but verse 35, but someone will ask, will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? How does the resurrection happen? How is that going to work? What will the resurrected body be like? And Paul says, well, you foolish person, don't you understand? Don't you understand? You see, the resurrection is a miraculous and powerful supernatural event, and we don't understand all of it because we lack knowledge about all the ways of God, don't we? Our understanding of God and God's power and God's abilities is so small, so minuscule. But this same Holy Spirit who raised the body of Jesus, he will raise the bodies of those who are in Christ as well. How will this work? The same way it worked with Jesus, by God's mighty power. That's how. Romans 8 tells us if the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and He does, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Amen to that. You know, the natural way of understanding things is to say that after life, there is death. But to the believer in Christ, our thinking is different. After death, there is life, true life. So Paul illustrates that then with an example that we could all understand. He says in verse 30, What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. I love this this illustration, this understanding. How many of you like to garden? I know we have some farmers here, but how many of you like to garden? You know, when you take those seeds and you you put the seed, or, or maybe you like to have flowers, plant flowers, You put that seed in the ground. Does that seed look anything like what's going to come up? No, it's this tiny little thing. You put it in the ground. You put it in the dirt. And then what? Through some process, it's really incredible, isn't it? Through some amazing process, we don't really understand. Somehow that seed is transformed into something wondrous and glorious, isn't it? A beautiful flower, 
a plant, a, a, a stalk of corn, or whatever it might be, right? How does that happen? I don't know, but that's how God has made it. And so these bodies then, these are seeds that are going to be put in the ground. And what's going to come out? Something wondrous and glorious, something in continuity. The body that you have now is the body you will have transformed. But these bodies are like seeds. Like seeds that are going to be changed, transformed. He says, for not all flesh is the same. There's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. So God has given flesh, bodies, to all of these different things. And there's differences among them. And so too, we have a different kind of body than animals. And we will have a different resurrection body. It says, look at the bodies, the heavenly and earthly bodies. There he's talking about the heavenly bodies, like the, the sun and the moon and the stars, and how those are, all, are different. But the earthly bodies are lower, below, they're lesser. The heavenly things are upper and above or greater. And so too then, our bodies will be transformed to be greater. He says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is what? imperishable it can't die here's the great thing about not only will our new bodies not be capable of dying they won't be capable of of sickness and disease either i mean that wouldn't be much of a resurrection if your body was would never die but yet you would still be the way it is capable of aging and sickness right and disease that wouldn't be such a wonderful thing would it But it's imperishable. It doesn't just mean it can't die. It means it can't get sick either. It can't be weak, but rather it's what? It's powerful. It is sown in dishonor. The wages of sin is death, but it is raised in glory, righteousness of Christ. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. The earthly body is fallen, it's weak, it's sick, it's diseased, it's temporary, and it dies. But the spiritual body is from above, transformed by the Spirit of God. It is physical, but it will be wondrously and gloriously superior to our natural physical bodies. Our old body is the seed planted in the ground, and God is going to take that DNA from the seed, (laughs) and you will be you, but wondrously different, something altogether different. We're told, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Paul is quoting from Genesis 2-7 here. And we know about the first Adam because we are like him. We looked at that Friday night. Remember how we said we have the first Adam and Christ the second Adam. That in the first Adam, what we, we fell into sin. He transgressed. He violated God's law. He brought death into the world. And we have followed him in that, in his image in that way. But Christ is the second man, the second Adam, who did not fall into sin, who was perfectly righteous to God's law. 
took upon himself the punishment for our sin, died, was buried, and rose again, that through faith in him we might overcome, be forgiven, be given life, follow him in resurrected glory. The second man, the second Adam, Jesus gives life. Adam brought death. Jesus brought life. He says, but it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, the man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Adam was made from the dust of the earth, and to the earth that body returned, returned to dust. And that is the fate of our natural bodies. But after the resurrection, we'll be like the second man, Christ, from heaven, resurrected with a body from heaven, not from the dust, the earth. In this life, we are the Adam, frail, sick, temporary. But for those who are in Christ, we shall be like him. 1 John chapter 3 tells us, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall what? We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Philippians 3:21 tells us that that he Christ that he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You think God's going to have any trouble doing that? Any difficulty at all doing that? Does God have the power to do that? Absolutely. And so after the resurrection though, Jesus' disciples, they did not know what to think. They were clueless on this. And Jesus comes to them, Luke chapter 24 tells us, and he, Jesus, said to them, Why are you troubled? Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. You know, I believe that when God resurrects these bodies, we're not going to have any scars, are we? Our bodies will be perfect. But I do believe, well, I know that there's going to be one resurrected body. There's an exception to the rule. The rule is no scars except for one. One resurrected person is still going to have some scars. Who is that? Jesus. As an everlasting memorial or testament to the price he paid for our redemption. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. We'll be just like him in a glorified body that will never again see death. Now you might ask, well, when? When is this going to happen? When will this great transformation of our bodies take place? We're told there in the text, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That is, these natural bodies can't inherit the eternal kingdom. 
nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, that is, physically die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, I love this one, read it along with me, folks, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Victory through Christ. Paul says, look, I, I want to tell you a mystery. Now, I know when we think mystery, we think a, a whodunit, murder mystery, or something like that, right? By the way, speaking of the whodunit murder mystery, Jesus was murdered on that cross, wasn't he? Who done it? The Romans? Yeah. The religious leaders? Yep. How about you and me? All of us, our sin, all of us did it, didn't we? All of us done it. But this isn't one of those kinds of mysteries here that he's talking about. A mystery here in the scriptures, a mystery is a, a truth that has previously been hidden, but now is revealed. It's a truth that God wants us to know. And what is this mystery? Well, it's about the transformation, the resurrection of the body at the coming of Christ. In the twinkling of an eye, that is the mystery that is now being revealed. God wants us to know that. So how is it going to happen? By his power, in the twinkling of an eye. Boom, like that. When? When Jesus returns. At the second coming, that's when it'll happen. We shall not all sleep. That's what a, a figurative way of referring to death, to physical death, the death of the body. But we shall all be changed. Who's the we? Believers in Jesus Christ. We shall not all sleep. Not every believer in Jesus is going to physically die. Now, up to this point in history, how many people have died? Almost all of them, right? <laughs> Who did? Enoch, Elijah. Even Jesus himself died, didn't he? But he rose. How many believers in Jesus Christ have died since Jesus rose? Almost all of them, except for who? The ones who are alive right now, we haven't physically died. And if Jesus comes this afternoon, that means we will not physically die either. We shall not all sleep. But if Jesus tarries, if he doesn't come for another hundred years... There may be someone here who's still alive a hundred years from now. Maybe. Maybe. 
but most of us will be long gone, won't we? We'll have physically died. But when Jesus comes, that generation, that generation will not sleep, will not physically die. But they and us, all of us together, we shall all be what? Changed, transformed, right? We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. There will be a generation alive at the time of the coming of Christ that will not see physical death. That'd be a wonderful thing, don't you think? This transformation will be instantaneous in the blink of an eye. The mortal put on immortality, the corruption of our entire being being made incorruptible in a moment. And it's then that we will sing, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? It is said that we are all swallowed up by death but when we die, but God says it is death itself that will be swallowed up in victory. Victory through Christ. At this point, you might be thinking, so what? What do you want me to do about it? Well, I want you to know, this is one of those occasions. The so what writes itself here, folks. I don't need to make up the so what. It's already there for us in the text. So what, so what should we do in light of these wondrous things? Therefore, what should we do? Well, Paul tells us right there in the text, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. There's our so what right there. Confident, confident labor. You know, we can get awfully discouraged sometimes in this life, can't we? We can wonder if what we're doing is really making any difference at all. Wonder if our lives matter. But God's word assures us, oh, it does. He sees. He sees it all. He sees all that we do for him, and he won't forget it. So he says, in light of this joyful hope we have of final victory, therefore, do what? Be steadfast. When you picture something steadfast and movable, what do you think of? Like, like a solid rock, you know, something that is just anchored to the bedrock of the earth, and nothing is going to move that. Steadfast and movable. This is how we should be in our faith. Not drifting away from our confident hope and expectation, not allowing the, the ferocious winds of the world, the flesh, and the devil to beat against us and to push us off from this confident hope, but rather what? Be steadfast, immovable. Hold fast to the faith and always abound in the work of the Lord. Always abound in the work of the Lord. But get busy with the work of the kingdom. What is the work of the Lord? It's the work of the kingdom. What is the work of the kingdom? It's making disciples, <laughs> serving people, growing in our faith, loving people, proclaiming the good news, even, dare I say, giving a cup of cold water in his name, right? I was just thinking a moment ago, <clears throat> man, I felt something coming on. Thank you, Tony, for the cup of cold water in his name. Tony always gives, thank you, Tony. Thank you, Tony, for this water. I appreciate that every week, you know. 
It will not be forgotten, brother. It won't. See, what we do for him is never in vain. It's never empty or useless. Even if nobody sees it, and especially if nobody sees it, it'll be remembered, right? Jesus says, Revelation 22, verse 12, Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. So what? I said, the text already wrote it for us, didn't it? Because God is faithful and will complete our redemption by transforming our mortal bodies. Let us be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because we know our labor in the Lord is never what? It's never in vain. It's never empty. It's never useless. It's never forgotten. So be steadfast, immovable. I know there are all kinds of things that come against us these days, aren't there? That undermine our faith, create doubt, discourage us. Boy, there's plenty of things out there to discourage us. Maybe some of you are feeling discouraged here this morning. But I want you to know, however you may feel, however I may feel sometimes, I think, well, what do you know? You're in, you're in ministry. You know, you're, always, uh, you're always in God's word, and you're always praying, and God is always you know, talking to you. And Well, you know what? You think pastors ever get discouraged? We do sometimes. You know why? Because we deal with people, right? <laughs> That's right. I'll tell you another reason why we get discouraged. Because we're human. That's why you get discouraged. That's why I get discouraged. Because we're human and because we deal with people, right? You know, we might say, yeah, we deal with people. But you ever think, yeah, and you're thinking of this person and that person. You know what? Probably out there there's someone that's thinking of you when they say, yeah, because we deal with people, right? I'll bet you. I'll bet you. But don't listen to the critics to the world, to the enemy, or give way to those shifting feelings, emotions within. Because Christ has conquered, be steadfast, immovable. Anchor yourself to the rock, the solid rock. Abound, abound in the work of Lord. You know, God has given each one of us a, a ministry, a place of service. And that can mean, yeah, a place of ministry, a place of service in the church. You're teaching, serving, praying, admonishing, encouraging. All kinds of ministries that God has given to each one of us in the church. But our ministries aren't just for within the church body, within these walls or other believers. This is what? It's to go out from these walls, isn't it? Abound in the work of the Lord, using the abilities God has given you to serve him, to serve people, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And finally then, let us share, let us share this good news with people who need it. People in our community need this. You know, I was just talking with someone um, uh, who also serves on the fire department this morning, that um, 
I was feeling a, a, a little, little sad last night, and again here this morning, it's just a reminder of why we need this message, why we need this hope of someone in our community last night who lost all hope. It's out there. People need this. People need to hear this. Take the message to them. Don't let the message just be on your lips. Let it be seen in your life. And when you fall, when you make mistakes, when you sin, and you will and I do, confess it and get back up and keep going. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in your work in the Lord because your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this hope of eternal life that we have in Jesus. Lord, we need hope. People in our community need hope. And I pray that we would be faithful ministers, faithful witnesses of the hope of Jesus Christ, the hope of the resurrection. We thank you, Lord, that, Lord Jesus, that you stepped down from all of the glory that was rightly due you and all the honor and the praise, and you humbled yourself. You took on human flesh. You were perfectly obedient to the law. You died for us. You took the punishment for our sins on us. You died. You were buried. And you rose again in victory. And now, Lord, through faith in you, confident trust in you, is our forgiveness, is our life, is our hope, that we will follow you in that resurrection. Because you are risen, so too will we. And we give you thanks and praise. Let us be faithful to take this message out. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.